Hi, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of the Undone Podcast. I'm so excited that you all are here because we have the most amazing, beautiful, strong, I know she doesn't like that word strong, but resilient, (laughs) a guest today. I'm so excited to have uh, Ms. Sheila Marie Johnson. She's a 13-year breast cancer survivor, retired 25-year United States Air Force military veteran. Um, author and she's an advocate and like I said she is resilient. Sheila thank you and welcome to the Undone Podcast. Thank you so much for having me today Ashley. I appreciate it. Yes listen I tracked you down didn't I? Uh, You sure did and I just sent your message um, last night on Instagram. Okay okay I tracked you down because I was like I have to have her on. Um, I know you have a busy day ahead. Lots of things in the works that we're going to talk about. So I promise not to keep you too long. Um, Before we get started, Sheila, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. It's kind of overwhelming once I start talking about, you know, the movie, but um, I'm doing good. Just soaking it all in. Soaking it as you should, as you should. This is your journey has um, inspired even people that aren't on, you know, on a journey of or have been diagnosed with breast cancer. I feel like your story has inspired people in some way, shape or form. So you deserve your flowers for just uh, your resilience. I'm going to say that word a lot today because that's what when I look at you and I read your story, I see resilience. So you deserve your flowers. So cheers. Thank you. And I'm I'm gonna accept them too. <laughs> yes, you you better you better accept those flowers. Um, so we're gonna dive right in today because, like I said, Sheila has a busy day ahead of her. Um, Sheila, you have an incredible story, like I said, but I like to always start at the beginning, right? I like to start from you know the early days. Um, and before we even dive into that, um, you have an incredible story, so much so that your story is being turned into a film, and we're gonna yeah. dive that a little bit later on BET coming out tomorrow. I'm so excited about that. Um, but can you share some of your favorite childhood memories? What was Sheila like as a child? As a child, I was very quiet. Um, I went to an all-girls school um, from um, in high school from ninth to 12th grade. Um, I actually went to Catholic school from sixth to ninth grade. Um, yeah, I was quiet. Um, I didn't like public speaking. I didn't. I was shy. And, you know, one thing my mom, you know, I, I love plays, though. I love to be like in the front, mm-hmm. but I will always um, hold my head down. Wow. And my mom used to, you know, after my performance or whatever, she would um, look at me and she would lift my head up and she said, you are beautiful. You know, she would give me affirmations. You are beautiful. Um, you are smart and you can do this. And she said, hold your head up high. And she always said that because she said, look a person in her eyes. First of all, you can see whether a person is happy or sad through their eyes. And she says, secondly, you need to look a person in their eyes and let them know you mean business. And mm. now I took that um, and I um, just, you know, just ran with it. You know, I have three sisters. Uh, I grew up with my mom and dad. Um, We always had a dog, (laughs) the station wagon. (laughs) 
So we just in and I joined the military when I was uh 18 because I flunked out of college. Wow. I didn't I didn't like I hated college. Oh my god. <laughs> I ended up getting my master's degree, you know, through the years, but I hated college. And my mother was like, You got to go. <laughs> and I joined the military. Wow. And that leads me to my next question. Thank you for your service. Thank um, you. We appreciate your service. 25 years of service. Yep in the U.S. Air Force. Um, so that's a funny story. That's interesting because, you you know, a lot of people, they'll say, well, I was inspired by this person or that person. That's what led me to, you know, want to serve. But can you share your experience in being a Black woman in the U.S. Air Force? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that journey and that experience. Of course, it's t intimidating because I had never been on an airplane and, you know, I had to go out to San, San Antonio for what they back then called boot camp because I joined in 1988. Um, and no, it was in 1988. I joined in 1985 because I graduated high school in 1984. Okay. And, you know, then I never, you know, even my high school was mostly um, white, but mm -hmm. I never seen that in my household where we, you know, I just joined the military and it, it was just all family. Wow. So I've never experienced, you know, I was thinking back, like, have I ever experienced discrimination? Now I had had to sometimes um, fight, not fight, not so much fight for promotions, mm -hmm. but to make sure, you know, some some of the people in the military knew who I was and that I was deserving of certain awards and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't think it was because I was black. Um, I, I might contribute to being a woman maybe back then, mm -hmm. but um, I, it's just that I never experienced any um, discrimination or being a black woman. And I always worked hard in the military. So um you know, I always fought for what I deserve for, for myself. Wow. So, that's yeah. inspiring in itself. Mm -hmm. How did you land on the U.S. Air Force? How did, how did that? It was, it was the first office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in the recruitment center. It was the Air Force. I think the Navy was next and the Marines. And I went in the first office and, uh, cause I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but I live in the St. Louis, Missouri area. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the first office and I came back home and I said, mom, joined the, I joined the military and she was like, good. And I can remember, um, you know, boot camp back then, um, you would have to call collect because I didn't buy calling cards or anything. And you weren't getting paid in the military till like your six or seven week, I think, like $50. And I thought back then 50 or $60 was a lot, you know. And um, I kept calling collect and like, mom, I want to come home. I want to go. I'm so scared. They're going to beat me, which they didn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, she stopped taking my calls. Wow. She said, you got to do this. And she would not take my calls after I graduated. Oh, my God. You're not coming home. <laughs> <laughs> so that's instilled in me a lot um, that, you know, I guess that instilled in me that don't give up mm -hmm. and that's where I got it from. Yeah. Wow. Your mom has been a beacon of light for you throughout your journey mm -hmm. since you've been diagnosed and even before. I love to hear that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about your mom in a minute. Uh, what specific roles and responsibilities did you, um, 
have while serving in the U.S. Air Force? Because you have a lot of medals. I saw all those medals. I was like, dang, she is a bad sister. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about that, just because I feel like some people will, you know, maybe want to try that journey at some point yeah. in the past, but they don't know even where to start or what that looks like. Can you talk a little bit about your roles and responsibilities? Well, the military, I will say, was the best thing that I could have could ever have done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had many jobs. I was on like a team where we went out. It's called the Inspector General team, where we went out and inspected other Air Force bases to make sure they was they were up to standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked. I've been an IT person. Um, I work for like different um, what they call command chiefs, which is Chief Master Sergeant E nines. I've been their assistants. Um, I've had so many jobs. Um, I've subbed in for like the first sergeant sometime, which is like the person that handles like if one of the airmen have a problem or something, they go go to the first sergeant. And I've done that before. Um, It's just so many jobs. I was a records manager. Um, We would go out and inspect bases to make sure that was when the Air Force was transitioned into electronic records. So we would make sure that they were, you know, doing uh, what they were supposed to be doing by Air Force standards. So throughout my career, I've been deployed. Uh, I was in Japan for nine years. Um, I was in Okinawa for uh, three years and mainland Japan for six years. I've been deployed to Riyadh and Saudi. Um, I've traveled so much uh, <laughs> into different countries and stuff. I was in Korea for a year. Um, I took my daughter to Hawaii, Guam, and my daughter has always been by my side as well. So, uh, yeah. So she really enjoyed Japan. We was, yeah, over there for nine years. So it's been an interesting career and I still talk to almost the same people. Wow. That's such, listen, just that alone, like Japan for nine years, like, okay, sign me up. I would love to do that. Again, thank you for your service because I have to ask you, and we're going to get into uh, talking about the diagnosis now, but you were serving and you were, you know, in your 25 year uh, career as a a U.S. Air Force um, veteran at the time when you were diagnosed. But before you were diagnosed, we're going to go back to mom for a minute. You had already been dealing with your mom because she had passed away from cancer as well talk to us about that news and when you found out that your mom had cancer how did that affect you Uh, well I was in Okinawa Japan when I found out it was 2001 and she called me and she said you know and my mom never really called me overseas because it was just cheaper for me to call her Mm -hmm. so she said um I had breast cancer and I was like breast cancer like where did that come from you know because I didn't know nothing about it and you know first she had got a lumpectomy and she was going through chemo and uh, radiation but it had eventually spread to her ribs not ribs her um lungs and that's ultimately um why she passed away because you know it it, it had metastasized to her lungs but good um one good memory before she passed away uh, me and my sister we flew her over to Okinawa so she was able to her and my dad mm-hmm. which dad is an integral you know was an integral part of my mm-hmm. life but he died in 2022 of um, heart failure 
-hmm. but um, we flew them over to Japan. They stayed with me for three months. So I was able to spend a lot of time with her then before she passed away. But um, she passed away in 2004 and I received my diagnosis in 2009. So it was heartbreaking because I didn't know enough about breast cancer. You know, I didn't even know black people got breast cancer. And a lot of people don't know because we're not, I don't yeah. think educated on it. We have so many other societal issues that we're yeah. trying to dismantle and, you know, face that that's the last thing that we're thinking about. Right. Was yep. that you? Yeah, it was just breast cancer. Like, and you know, and when I was diagnosed in 2009, I said it again. I was like, I'm 43 years old and breast cancer. But you look at the commercials, there were no black women on the commercials. Mm, no. It was older white women. Right. So that's all I knew was older white women on breast cancer commercials. Now it's gotten a lot better. And I thank God for that because it's bringing more awareness to the black community. But I'm like, I didn't even know. Right. And yeah. I think the awareness is coming due in part to you yeah. and you're advocating and still going all over the world now talking about that. Let me ask you this, Sheila, when your mom, when you found out in 2001 that your mom had been diagnosed, did you think to get screened or had you been doing screenings at that time or was that not even on your radar? Yeah, I was 37 when my mom passed away. And, you know, the first thing the military said, well, you really don't need a mammogram. They were saying that, it goes back 10 years. So my mom died at 65. Mm -hmm. So my risk wasn't, I didn't have a like immediate risk until I was 55. Uh, well, clearly that was wrong. Clearly. <laughs> but I did, you know, I demanded, I was like, I need to start getting mammograms. Mm -hmm. And I did start getting mammograms at 37. But also I wish that I would have educated myself about genetic testing and I wish I would have, you know, I always say 2020 is hindsight, but maybe did a preventive um, mastectomy, mm. mastectomy and just got them, take them taken off and been done with it, you know, but then like my sister said, who knows, maybe you still got, it, you know, so, um, right. yeah. So I uh, look back, I just wish that I had that that education about it, especially genetic testing. Right. Um, for those who may not be aware, how is breast cancer diagnosed? Is it through mammograms, screenings? Can you educate us a little bit about how people can even, you know, find out how to be diagnosed? If they are, if they do have it, how is it diagnosed? Well, more young, more um, younger women are getting breast cancer. They just did um, a, a the statistics just came out and younger women from the age of 30 to 39 are being diagnosed more with breast cancer more frequently. So, but thing is they don't require or their recommendation is over 40 for you to get a mammogram. So it's important to do yourself breast exam, even when you're 17, 18 years old, because you need to know what your normal feels like. That's the most important thing. And you only need to do a uh, self-breast exam once a month. 
don't keep rubbing because you're going to forget what your normal feels like. Mm -hmm. So once a month on the first or the 15th or when you get paid, remind, put in your phone, we got these smartphones and just remind yourself that, okay, I need to do my self breast exam. Even at 18, when you're in college, make sure you know um, what your uh, um, normal feels like. And then also, if you have a history, first generation of breast cancer, like me, myself, you know, my mom, um, ask for genetic tests and, and ask them, you know, well, maybe I need to get, you know, um, earlier screening, you know, because it's important because mammograms and self-birth exams are the only two things we have right now to detect breast cancer. Wow. So it's important that, you, you know, you start mammograms at 40. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the recommendation, um, they changed it now back to 40. But for Black women, you know, it might even be younger than that because we, we're dying faster of breast cancer because we're getting on, like myself, um, later stages and different things like that. So it's just important that you know your body. And men get breast cancer too. Right. So it's just important that you know your body and know your breasts and make sure that if anything wrong, you tell your doctor, don't let them send you home and say, oh, you're too young for breast cancer. You go see it. Go get a second opinion. Go get a third opinion because you know your body. Right. Right. I. It's so interesting that we are having this conversation because I was in the shower uh, just a few days ago and just doing my normal, you know, and I was you know, thing. Mm -hmm. And I was, feel, you know, I do them and I like, you know, maybe felt, I don't know what I felt. And it just kind of freaked me out. Cause I was like, wait a minute. So I immediately, yeah. they made a, a doctor's appointment just to go and like, you know, yeah. see what, cause That's I just turned 40, I just turned 40 in August. So I'm just like, my mom is telling me I should get the mammogram. And I'm like, but like you said, they're, they don't call for us to get it until, you know, over 40. So 40. yeah, so that's so interesting that you're saying that. And especially with black women, um, 42%, the mortality rate is 42% yep. for black women. What can we do as black women to educate ourselves on the seriousness of breast cancer? Talk to your um doctors. Um educate yourself about um, breast cancer. Uh, make sure you know your family history, you know, because there are some black women, you know, I hear that. Matter of fact, I was talking to a young lady and she has breast cancer. So she started researching and she said, my mom and my aunt have breast cancer, but they never talked about it. Wow. Wow. So we need to know our family history. We need to be more involved with our family history. Um, and we just need to continue to, you know, that's why I go out and educate, you know, my whole purpose is to educate the black community about breast health and about breast cancer and how it's affecting our communities, you know, um, because we do get, get it more, uh, aggressively. Um, and, um, it's just so many, we, it's different subtypes of breast cancer. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, because my breast cancer was HER2 positive, um, estrogen receptor positive, which means my cancer was feeding off my estrogen. So the first thing they had to do was take my ovaries at 43 years old. And I'm like, well, what if I had been married and one or more kids? You know, but they, you know, for women like that, or if you do get breast cancer at a young age, make sure you talk to your doctor about fertility. Another thing with Black women, we have dense breasts. 
-hmm. This breast shows up on a mammogram as white. So that's cancer. So the dense, the density of your breast could be hiding the cancer. So if your doctor tells you that you have dense breasts, you ask them, well, what is the, um, there are, th I think, three or four levels of density. And you ask them what are, you know, what your density levels are. And then they will let you know whether you need further testing, like an um, ultrasound or different like that. But now states have to tell you that you have dense breasts, which is a good thing. So, wow. yeah. So good. This I'm so happy that we have people like you that are advocating for us and going out and sharing this information. Because again, like you said, years ago, we I mean, yeah, <laughs> years ago, I mean, we just aren't. That's not on the top of our head. But I think now more so, we're seeing people that look like us. So the representation is there, which is making us okay. Let me sit back. Let me look into this. So thank you again for just shedding light on this. Um, Sheila, how did you manage the psychological and emotional effects when you found out that you were diagnosed? Like, what was your reaction to the news? Were you like, okay, well, this makes sense because of my mom. Talk to us a little bit about your reaction to finding out and how that impacted you physically and emotionally. It's almost like an autobiography out of body experience like it, like my body went numb and it took me back to my childhood to like I said I was diagnosed in 2009 um to my age of 43 and then like it I don't know it was just crazy you know I was in the military and next thing I know you're telling me that I have breast cancer and it spread to my liver and ribs and you then you're telling me that statistically, you might die in three to five years. And the first thing I thought about was my mom, because with her um, diagnosis, she only lived three years. She was diagnosed in 2001, and she passed away in 2004. And I, my daughter was in her second year of college. And then my dad, I'm like, how do I tell my dad that I have the same disease that killed his wife? You know, that was the heart is just telling, you know, them you know, my daughter and my dad, but then have to tell my sisters and my family. Um, and then I had to retire from the military a year later. And I had to start, you know, like the, I never dealt with the civilian healthcare system. I always went to, you know, a military doctor. So everything was just so new. And I really didn't accept it um, for a while, you know. But once I, found that intimate relationship with God, it changed my whole perspective on everything. Because now I felt that, for one, I didn't even know any support groups. So for nine months, I was just basically out there, like no support group, because I didn't know any, I didn't know there were breast cancer support groups. And what's ironic is my breast surgeon sent me a flyer and my genetic, um, the lady that did my genetic testing, she had a support group and she said, Sheila, I want you to come. And that's how I started my advocacy. And that's how I found out about support groups and different things like that. But then you go on these support groups and there are no women there that look like you, nor there are few women that have stage four breast cancer. So I really had to, um, 
I just had to continuously educate myself. And I felt that I had to educate myself because that was the only way I was going to defeat it mm. or continue to defeat it. But once I knew about it and knew, um, talked to my doctor and I started my advocacy and stuff and it just changed. And I say my relationship with God has sustained me for 13 years so it was hard to accept though because you know back then I had a little bit of hair <laughs> and I always wore my hair short and one day I woke up and it was on my um pillow I said this is beyond my control that's when I knew I was like I can't I, I can't do anything right so right. yeah it was hard it was it's it's it was it's okay it was okay it was really hard you know you're 43 years old and you worrying about breast cancer that on your liver and ribs I'm like I didn't even know you can get breast cancer on your ribs like you know and then you know I've been on chemo for 13 years with no break like I've been getting this poison for 13 years wow. and I just had a progression on my, I have a fracture in my neck and a fracture in my shoulder. They just found out two weeks ago from the cancer. So now next week I have to go a week through radiation and they had to change my chemo again. So it's a never ending roller coaster, but I know that God is good. I just rely on his strength every day. So. It's so heartbreaking listening to you say how hard it was because you look at yourself and I know you don't like the word strong, but you see strength and I see you going out and speaking all over the world and helping other people. Is that what gives you hope outside of, you know, I know God is where you find your, you know, faith to keep moving on, but do you also get hope mm -hmm. from advocating for speaking out? And I remember you talked about when you were a child and you would hold your head down and you were shy, but now look at you, you have to, you like, you were forced to like your mom, like hold your head up. Mm -hmm. Now You're the face of, you know, hope for somebody else. Is that what gives you some simmer of hope as well as going out and sharing your story? Yeah, it gives me a lot of hope because I get women that say, you know, because of you, um, I have hope. Um, you know, even I participated in a clinical trial and, you know, only five to six percent of black women participate in clinical trials. So we need more Black women um, to participate. And it's not because of Black women not wanting to. It's because we're not asked. But luckily, my doctor told me about a clinical trial, and I trusted my doctor. And I was like, sure. And I was on it for three and a half years. But I, for me, it was not only saving my life, but also leaving my legacy and helping other black women because they'll see my genes and my cells and say, hey, you know, something is Sheila, you know, maybe we should look at it this way or whatever, you know. So it's also helping, you know, the black community as well, you know, our community. So um, 
my hope, yeah, I get my hope and strength from other people, from traveling, just from a hug, you know, just gives me strength um, to keep going each day. And, you know, my daughter, I look at my daughter, I'm like, what is she going to do without her mom? You know, she gives me hope. And it comes from, um, my hope comes from many, many different um, aspects of my life. So, so I just try to pass that hope on to um, other people. So you talked about the clinical trials and I saw that that was, I was like, look at her again, being, you know, <laughs> the boss and the inspiration that she is, where can people find out about the clinical trials? Is it something that you would ask your doctor? Can you, educate us a little bit on like how we can get that information for people that need it. Well, your first resource should be your doctor. Um, and you can actually talk about clinical trials anytime. And clinical trials are not a last resort. Many people think it's a last resort, but it's not. And it wasn't a last resort for me, but my doctor said, hey, I want you to try it. And like I said, it worked for uh, many years. Um, but you can go online. Susan G. Coleman has a great resource for um, um, clinical trials. So does, it's called Chuck Touch, T-O-U-C-H, the Black Breast Cancer um, um, Alliance. And um, they have great resources for uh, uh, clinical trials um, where you can find out about clinical trials and uh, what clinical trials are out. And, you know, clinical trials are based on your subtype or what type of breast cancer you have. So, and you can also go, which I don't like to say, clinicaltrials.gov, but it's so hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. that if you're just someone that's just newly being diagnosed, you would just be lost. So I would say your first um, resource should be um, your doctor. And, you know, just every, in every clinical trial is not a treatment trial, you know. And then the thing is too, if you're metastatic, they can't give you a sugar pill. Mm -hmm. Like, like we will all, like we will all be dying if they right. can give you. Right. But, they can't give you a sugar pill. You have to get either the medicine that they're testing or they're going to give you the medicine that they're testing as something else. But you cannot, they cannot just give you the um, um, sugar pill. Now for other um, clinical trials, you might get a placebo or something like that. And, but nobody knows who gets it and who doesn't. And even when you're a cl clinical trial, your name is not, you're associated by a number. So they don't even know, like the researchers don't even know it's you. Right. But that's how anonymous it is. And it's so, you know, I asked my doctor, I said, well, why do you think, you know, more Black women are participating? And she said, you know, I try to explain that there are so many steps that clinical trials have to go through before they even become a clinical trial. And she said, you know, I know this you know, medical mistrust and things like that. She says, Sheila, that just cannot happen today. Mm. So, and that, re, you know, reaffirmed to me that, okay. Yeah, and I, you know me, I started looking it up and stuff like, okay, she might be right. Right. Yes. Um, You talk a lot about your daughter, which she's so beautiful and you were so proud of her. And I know she's proud of you. Um. How have you relied on her and your dad before he passed away and your sister? How did you rely on your family for support um, throughout all of this? And the second part of that question is, 
is your daughter, are you educating her or is she learning from you to, you know, be proactive with breast health because of your journey and your mother's? Actually, she just had genetic testing done, which was good. And she does herself breast exams, uh, which is good. But I lean on her, but she doesn't like to talk about it. And I don't force her to. Um, but whenever my treatments change or whatever, I make sure she knows, okay, I'm on this type of um, drug or I'm on this, or she knows what type of um, breast cancer it is. So I make sure she knows all the integral parts. Like she, she don't want to do the interview. She don't want to, you know, like, okay, I need a caregiver to talk about. She don't want to do any of that. And I understand because she faced it, you know, with my mother and now me. So I don't force her to, um, you know, whenever she wants to talk, she rarely talks about it. She's like, my mama going to be fine. And, you know, and I call her crying like, oh my God, you know, they said it's progressing again. She was like, ma, we've been doing this for 13 years. Just get it together. And I'm like, okay. Like she the adult and I'm the child. But, you know, and I lean on my sisters a lot. You know, I tell them, you know, what's going on. And I leaned on my dad um, so much. Um, just his voice. Like, I could feel all the stress just just hearing his voice. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe I should shield him from not telling him everything. But I was like, no, no if something really happens, I just right. want him to know every everything that's going on with me. So... Um, yeah, that was devastating when he passed away, Definitely. which I'm sure for anybody, yeah. Right. yeah. I lost my dad also to cancer when I was in high school, so I can hear that. Yes, definitely. Um, listen, you say, and I've said this multiple times throughout, oh. but you say <laughs> not to call you strong or um, you don't like to be referred to as strong or brave, but you have strong and brave moments. So I have to ask you, Sheila, what what three words would you say describe you in this journey? I want to say the reason why um, I say strong and brave moments is because we put titles on ourselves and I just don't want myself to always feel that I have to be strong and brave to everybody. So I wanted to erase those titles just from for me. It's like, even when I'm posting on social media and my best friend was like, well, you need to show them the downsides of it. You know, I'm like, well, people don't want to hear my problems with cancer. It's like, yeah, 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 they do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's the reason why I said that because you have to be strong this and you have to be brave, you know, and you have to be courageous, you know. But I would describe myself as, oh, you're crying. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are we both going to be on here crying? You fine. Oh. It's fine. I'm listening. Okay. You would describe yourself. Right. <laughs> um, I would say resilient, um, genuine, and... Um, love. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I love I love people. I love being around people. Um I just, you know, um, I just want to share not only my journey, but um myself with people. Um 
the good times, the bad times, but I want to be genuine, also intentional. You know, I've learned throughout the years that I wasn't intentional in some of the things that I were doing. I didn't think them through, but cancer, it'll make you do that, you know? So, um, and cancer has shown me that, and God has too, that you need to be intentional about the things that you do, you know, because at first when I started advocacy, I was saying yes, 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 yes to everything. And God was like, no, that ain't what I want you to do. Right. Right. But you need to learn how to be intentional and you need to learn how to not just do things to be busy. Mm. Yeah. So I stopped being busy mm. Mm. and that changed a lot for me. So that's good. Um, what advice would you give to someone who just received a diagnosis or they know they have a loved one who just received a diagnosis of cancer, breast cancer, any form? What would, what advice would you share with them? I would say first breathe. Um, the first couple of weeks, the first couple of months are hard. There is no right or wrong decision in a way that you fight breast cancer or cancer period, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't, you know, you depend on your doctor, really. Your doctor is your lifeline. And I tell my doctor all the time, it's like, you're my lifeline, basically. So if you come in here and say, I got to go on one, two, three, four, five types of chemo or one or two types of chemo, that's what I got to (laughs) do, you know? So, and, you know, always take somebody with you to the hospital and always advocate for yourself. Because my mom always said that we all have a sixth sense. You know, we have our five senses, but we have that sixth sense. And we know when, ah, that don't sound right. Let me ask a lot of questions, you know. Um, If you're not um, unsure about some things, ask questions. I always say, too, uh, ask your doctor, can you record it? We all got smartphones. And then you can go back home and say, okay, she said I had this cancer or um, cause most of the time you ask women about breast cancer and I ask them like, well, what type of breast cancer? They don't even know. Mm-hmm. Well, what stage? Well, I don't know what she said, but that drives your treatment. And those are important things you need to know, but it's probably because they just, the doctor said it, but they just don't remember. So record the conversation with your family and take it back home and just make sure your family is in a loop. Um, and don't feel that, um, well, I'm not going to tell them and I'm not feeling, no, you know, I had to do that too. It's like, I got to rely on somebody because I can't do this by myself, you know? So, um, and I just try not to shield my daughter, but it's just to breathe. And um, I'm not going to say absorb it all in because there's some bull crap to absorb in, (laughs) you know, but it took me months to accept at 43 years old. I got a diagnosis and I was just like, well, what y'all, God, what you want me to do with this? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this, you know? So, um, yeah. And rely on your doctors, you know, and if you don't like what your doctor's saying, go get a second opinion. Right. So. Woo. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit <laughs> and let's talk about the movie. Oh my. Ooh, you got me all emotional. <laughs> oh, um, okay. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, your story is so inspiring that BT came knocking and they are turning, <laughs> they have turned your story into your own biopic. Um, God's Grace, the Sheila Johnson story set to premiere October 19th, tomorrow on BET+. Demetra McKinney is playing you in the film. Did you work closely with her to bring this story to TV? Well, what happened, well, what had happened was, <laughs> what happened was. <laughs> a couple years ago, um, my Vista Productions contacted me, um, yeah, about two years ago. And he's the guy that contacted me said, I've been following you and I want to do a story on you about black breast cancer. I'm like, for real? Is this a scheme? Well, he had, then I was like, he didn't ask me for no money. <laughs> so while we talking, you know, over DM, because it was on Facebook, I um Googled him. I was like, this for real. And it just led from there the past two, probably about two, two and a half years. Uh, it's been in the works. And um, um, at first they didn't know who was going to pick it up. So it's like they shop around to see who likes the story. And BET was, um, liked it and they picked it up and started filming for two weeks in April in Atlanta. And they told me like maybe about a month or two months before that, um, Dimitri was playing me and I was like, oh my God, you know, cause you know, you know, Eric, you know, she could sing and I'm like, oh, this is great. But yeah, she would call and she said, well, I got a question about the script. Um, and I really, really want to feel it. And I'm like, okay. So I would talk to her about it. And she's like, well, well how did you feel? And I was like, I felt this away. And she just, we just connected, you know. Um, she would text sometime, hey, Sheila, I'm just checking on you, see how you're doing. And then I did go on set. Cause like when I see the movie tomorrow, it's the first time, like everybody else that I see the movie. <laughs> and, I was going to ask you that too. Yeah. Seen it. Wow. And she, um, I met her. Um, personally because we were doing zooms but I met her um, personally and I was only there for a day um, and she was just great I was like man I could see my you know I could see myself in her and it was so surreal and she was just just so gentle and kind-hearted and um, she let you know did I do that right you know it's you know was that a I'm like girl you doing your thing <laughs> you know and just to meet Michael Beach you know playing my dad um um and Amber Rain she's play, plays my uh daughter um it was just amazing and I have a love interest Devon Franklin I was like I saw yeah. him gonna be in it I didn't know what he would be playing but yeah so it was really, you know, uh, Dr. Contessa is uh, from Married to Medicine. She's my um, um, doctor in the movie. So it was so surreal because I actually didn't know. I'm like, all these great people in my movie, you know? Yeah. And then Char Charmin Lee is the director and I didn't know her, you know, and we just connected and she would send me videos, how they're praying you know, before each, um, you know, before they started filming for that day. And I'm like, man, this had to be sent from God. So, um, yeah, Demetrius is just excellent. Sheila, could you have imagined 13 years ago when you were diagnosed that you your story would become something that the world will now get to see and 
even more people will be able to, you know, be inspired and be able to walk their own journey because of what you have gone through. Could you imagine that that's how it would go? Did you think this? I said 13 years ago, I said, it's going to be a movie about me. Wow. And I, I, and 13 years later, it happened. I always say, speak things into existence. Mm. Now, I'm like, God, okay, it's year five, it's year eight, it's year nine. Like, what you going to do? <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, um, I said, I said, it's going to be a movie about me, whether I'm here or whether I'm in heaven, you know. And sure enough, it happened. So, uh, um, it ha- to me, 13 years, it happened really fast. <laughs> so I'm like, well, dang. <laughs> you know, and then I was just thinking, has there ever been a movie about a stage four Black woman that has breast cancer? You know, um, I don't know. But um, I never thought it would be like it is this big. I think that's the part that I'm amazed by. So was it hard to relive any of those moments when you were sharing with Demetria or just having to, you know, or even what you will have to see because you haven't seen it yet? Yeah. You think it'll be I, to watch it? I think when the parts with my dad, because he references um what you'll see in the movie, um I don't want to give it away too much, but the parts with my dad and actually Demetria has my um original uniform on so that's going to remind me about the military and and you know when I had to retire from the military I was like God you know am I retiring because of the cancer or you know I was telling my best friend I was like you know I'm retiring and cancer took this from me and she was like no you just have a different platform now and I was like oh okay so it was just so many integral parts that you'll see that um I'm just like wow. Then the end, it's like it's gonna blow you away. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> oh, don't do, don't do us like that, Sheila. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you're gonna be like, yeah, it's gonna blow you away. I did see scene from the end part. So what yeah. do you hope people will? How do you hope people will feel? after they watch it empowered to take care of their health um rejuvenated that we need more resources um in the black community um that there's hope um even with a statistic statistic like three to five years i'm still here 13 years later um clinical trials work i hope they get that uh that um and that you know life is it's going to take you through things you know mine's was breast cancer yours or somebody else's might be divorce or bankruptcy or whatever but um we can get through it you know um i always say god turned something so evil he turned it for my good so um i just hope they find the most important thing is just to be empowered to take care of your health. You know, even when I was on a set, you know, there were women coming up and say, I just made my mammogram appointment and I checked my breast. And that's all, it's not hard. This None of this is hard. And if you need help getting um, mammograms paid for, there are so many resources out there that'll do, do that. 
you know. So what I want people to get out of it, out of it is um um just feel my strength. And when they're going through something, just say, hey, you know, okay, Sheila, you know, was this strong or Sheila, you know. I just want them to feel the strength um, from the movie. Yeah. I know they will, because listen, I have, I, when I get off of this call, Sheila, <laughs> I'm going to call my mama because <laughs> listen, I don't know. That's why I had to have you because. Oh, I'm so sorry. Why are you apologizing? <laughs> I just knew, I just felt you. I felt something when I was researching and watching the videos. I just, I felt empowered. I felt inspired. I felt like I can do hard things, you know? Yeah. Hard things don't mean that it's bad or that it's yeah, over. Yeah. So, Thank you for just inspiring oh. us. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, oh, she. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. Let me let me get back to it because you not only have the movie coming out tomorrow, which I'm so excited. Before we talk about that, what are you wearing to the premiere? I'm wearing a pink suit. Um, yes. um, and you know I have uh uh a um i call it a advocacy group it's called survivor with a good god yeah and okay. i'm wearing a sh you know the shirt because everybody um a great deal of people bought shirts from me so they're gonna wear them then tomorrow night too as well so um yeah i'm gonna wear that and um hopefully be cute but you know also too the thing you know the actors are on strike and Listen, we we literally had to, me and a director, literally had to promote the movie ourselves. So the, I always say, don't tell me what God can't do. Because <laughs> he can do all things. All things, all yeah. things. Not some things. All all, and we've been working our butts off. So I'm so excited. And I'm just glad that you answered the call and said yes to this, because I think that it's going to help. So you've already helped people without a movie, right? So just imagine what this is going to open the door to for millions of people that will watch this story um, and be able to get the help and resources that they need. Um, like I said, you not only have a movie coming out tomorrow, October 19th on BET Plus, <laughs> you have a book um, where you give insight into living with stage four uh, breast cancer. Um where can people find like all of your resources and get your books and, you know, I feel like people need access to you because they don't have to be going through breast cancer or going yeah. through, it can be, like you said, a divorce or a bankruptcy or a loss. I think yeah. that you can speak to any of that. Where can people find like all of your things and keep up with everything that you have going on? Well, they can go to my website, www.asurvivorslens.com. They can go on Facebook, Sheila Marie Johnson. I'm on Instagram, Sheila underscore Marie underscore Johnson. And I'm on Twitter as Swag, S-W-A-G-G, Sheila, S-H-E-I-L-A. And I love Twitter. Well, it's X now, but I love X. <laughs> 
So, but any of those, and it's a contact information where you can fill out something and it'll come directly to me. Before I let you go, looking back over everything, Sheila, uh, what are you most proud of in your journey? Um, Myself and my intuition. Um, when I felt something wasn't right. And, you know, my resiliency. It's been a... Oh, it's been crazy. It's been, it's hard, you know. You know, when you're puking in a corner, you know, I was just telling my nephew that, you know, he was like, Auntie, why you don't eat? I said, because my tongue turns black. And he said to me, you know, I never thought about how important it is to have taste. Mm -hmm. and I said that's why I'm losing weight because everything tastes nasty I could get up at 7 or 8 o'clock and I'm fine by 5 o'clock um, my tongue is black from the chemo so it's just little things like that um, you know I've been doing this every 3 weeks never missed appointment for 13 years I've never missed appointment you know, I get scans every three months. I have to get my heart checked every three months. I was getting my eyes checked every two months because the chemo can affect your heart. So, um, you know, even when I found out about this latest progression, my doctor called me. I was driving and she was like, this was just two weeks ago. Get to the emergency room ASAP. They immediately put me in a trauma room because they thought that, um, you know, the fracture in my neck had hit my nerve, mm. you know, and that could paralyze me. So that's why I say, and that's why I talk about, I have to rely on God, hope, and my doctor. Those are the only three things that would keep me alive and medicine you know so it's just hard you know some days it's hard and some days sorry some days it's hard and some days I'm having a great day but it takes you on a life journey for sure so um I just want everybody just to take care of their health. And also, if your parents are here, call them every single day. Excuse me. Call them every single day. Like, I don't care. You mad, whatever. Call them, say, I love you. I'm still mad that you hang up. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. But, um, call them. I don't care. This life is so freaking short, you know. One, you know, one minute I'm going in the hospital room, you know, hospital like do do do. I'm just getting my mammogram. I come out, you have stage four breast cancer, <laughs> and you might be dead in five years. 
just hug on to your loved ones and love on them and all them arguments and issues and okay I got an issue because she's okay get over it two days later you know but it's just not you know and I had to teach myself that too and it took breast cancer for me but um yeah just be kind to yourself and show yourself grace and mercy not only show others but show yourself grace and mercy because we we all gonna make mistakes you know but, but yeah so those are my last words i think <laughs> oh, oh sheila sheila <laughs> This was so good, Sheila. Thank you for taking up, just giving us you today. Thank you for holding space. We hold space for you. I'm most proud of you and your journey. Thank I know you. the world is going to see it tomorrow and they're going to be proud of your journey also. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being so real and authentic and and true. Not only did I share my truth, but you shared your truth as well.